pop quiz. Which comic book writer can be seen in the hit film Think Like a Man? Brian Bucciolato has been a top colorist for nearly 20 years working for Marvel, DC, Vertigo, and Image. Having studied English at NYU, it wasn't much of a stretch for Brian to transition into writing comics, and he's currently working on The Flash with artist Francis Manipool, as well as his creator-owned title, Foster, a dark and gritty throwback to 60s and 70s noir and horror films. In addition to his comic book work, Brian is also a filmmaker and screenwriter, which takes us back to the initial question. One of Brian's earliest film projects was as writer and actor for a small indie film called The Firing Squad, directed by none other than Barbershop, Fantastic Four, and Think Like a Man Helmer, Tim Story. We talked to Brian about transitioning from colorist to writer, using crowdfunding as a direct marketing presale system, and which villain he would like to play in the next Fantastic Four movie. All that and more on the Scripts and Scribes podcast, right now. Welcome to the Scripts and Scribes podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Fukunaga, and today we're talking with the illustrious writer of Flash, Brian Bucciolato. Thanks for joining us today, Brian. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, um, Now, the thing is, uh, you've been in the industry a long time, but I know people know you more as probably, at least other than the past few years, as a colorist. You've been coloring for like 17 years, something like that, right? Uh, 18, but yeah. 18, I was close, I was close. Yeah. Uh, And and so, uh, you know, what was the transition like going from, you know, obviously colorist, veteran, everyone knowing you as, you know, in the the biz as, you know, one of the top colorists and then, you know, all of a sudden making that transition to being a writer? Well, I mean, oddly enough, for me, it wasn't so much trans a transition as much it was as it was a change in perception about me. I mean, I've been sure. writing for a long, for a long, long time. Um, you know, uh, I started seriously writing, you know, maybe 15 years ago. Uh, but I was looking to write more in the sort of the, you know, film and television space. Mm-hmm. So I, I never really tried to do comics. Um, you know, most of my, uh, personal writing is more, is darker and more like, you know, crime fiction, uh, uh, and, dramatic and less, you know, sci-fi superheroes and capes. So, right. uh, you know, so I just naturally gravitated towards, towards film and, and television and away from comics. For some reason, when I was younger, I wanted to separate uh, the two because uh, I've been supporting myself as a colorist, uh, you know, for 18 years. Right. And it's actually, it's afforded me the opportunities, you know, to do other things and spend time, you know, uh, writing and, and because, uh, you know, you make your, as a freelancer, you make your own schedule. So it's not like I'm clocking in anywhere. Um, so I, I, it's just great opportunity, uh, you know, to fund my life, so to speak. Uh, but I, I've always wanted to be a writer and, and that's, uh, you know, that's, so now, so now the world is basically seeing, uh, what I've always wanted, you know, so it's, it's coming to fruition, I guess, slowly but surely. Right. Right. And speaking of, of writing, you, you know, co-write and co-design art, everything with Francis Manipool. Uh, on Flash, so I guess you guys are a team. You know, you co-write it together with him. He draws it, you color it. What it's it seems almost like an indie title. Like it's it's really sort of almost creator owned, even if it's not your property per se. Uh, what is that process yeah. like? I mean, well, I, mean, I think it's very much like, like a creator owned or indie uh, property. I mean, obviously, you know, it's the Flash. There are rules. There are sure. mandates from DC. So you know, if you 
momentarily set aside those things which are which are you know a given uh the way we work is very much uh, you know a creator owned or, or or very much in the in that you know we we talk about the ideas we skype endlessly um uh, we come up with the the you know overarching stories uh you know we we plotted out two years worth and you know the character arcs for uh, the major characters and then when we, we get to the point of doing individual issues, uh, you know, we've done it in different ways. Uh, there's been issues where I've taken the first stab at the plot. There's been issues where he has. And, and it's more practical in terms of if I'm coloring pages, then he'll take the first stab. If he's drawing pages, then I'll take the first stab. Uh, there was one issue where we actually talked it out, and he drew the layouts before we ever wrote a word. Oh, wow. So, yeah, and, and so – but uh, with each – uh, plot that we turn in, we kind of do it in Marvel style. I don't know if uh, if your uh, I guess listeners are familiar with Marvel style versus DC style of writing. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, when you, when you write a script, uh, Marvel basically their thing has always been uh, plot first. Like they turn in a plot, then the right. artist uh, will draw it, and then you know and then you come in and script it afterwards. Uh, DC uh, traditionally has been more. They want the finished script, you know, broken down with the panels and the and the final, uh, you know, script dialogue and all that kind of stuff. So we do it more Marvel style because uh, it's more fluid for us, and right. the artist so is so integrated into the story. Like we we plan things visually, you know, as storytelling medium. So it's not just the words. So it's it's very fluid and organic, and uh, and it, it's just funny that we, we don't really have a like a set way of doing things, except for we always have the layouts when we turn in our plot. Oh, very cool. Now, is it in issues you you had said certain issues you'll do more of the writing than he will, and certain ones he'll do a little bit more than you. Does that change the way you write? In other words, in in one where you know an issue where maybe he does more of the plotting. Uh, your end of it is uh, less scripted, um, and when in, in for an issue that perhaps you plotted more, you've done most of it. Is your are your scripts much more a little more dense with more information because you're obviously have to relay more to him. Actually, that's not the case at all because we talk so much about the stories that um, when I say that you know that I do the first pass or sure, he sure. does the first pass, it's only after we talk the story out. Oh, I so, see. Uh, re- so it's really more functional, like it's who's doing the labor. Gotcha. Uh, and and less about who's putting their stamp on it because we don't really think in those terms. Uh, he and I get along really well. We've been friends for ten years, and right. and uh, you know we we've we've got it figured out by the time we get to the point where we're putting it on the page. And, uh, you know, I think, you know, when you, any good uh, writing partnership, uh, you just know when and where to make concessions and, sure. and, and where to fight for what's important to you. And I think we do a great job of that. We, we don't argue very much. And anytime, you know, we really have a, a disagreement, it's usually more, it's a communication gap. It's, you know, uh, we may be thinking the same thing, but, you know, uh, saying it one way or I'm saying it another, you know, so... Um, I, I think I've been really, really fortunate. I mean, on top of him being a phenomenal, phenomenal artist, and I don't want to take away, you know, like when people say that we co-write and, and you know, we co, that we're the illustrators, like I don't even like to say that because he does, you know, the penciling, the inking, and the ink wash, right. and then I try not, not to mess it up in colors. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I wanted to uh, – um... Now, you're sort of a media mogul yourself, a media mogul, uh, you know, being the publisher of Dog Ear Entertainment. Uh, so, um, yes. I, 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 if, if you can be a mogul without having any money, then that's who <laughs> I am. Um, now, Foster is your first title being published by your own company. Um, can you tell me a little bit about Foster? I know it's it's 
not a superhero book. It's it's set in the seventies and it's gritty and instead of this sort of alternate reality with uh, the dwellers and everything like that. Oh yeah, I mean absolutely. Um, you know, for, for me, Foster was just an opportunity to uh, do something creative where where I was in total control. And what you see on the page is what I intended. Um, I'm not answering anybody, which is incredibly liberating. You know, I mean, uh, for somebody who, who does any kind of uh, commercial art, whether it's, you know, music or drawing or writing, uh, if you're getting money to do it, you generally don't have the final say. It's the thing that you give up to get that money, you know. Right, right. So having, you know, and I think I think some people who are not successful have a hard time understanding that, that. You know, if they're paying you, they are the ones who have the final say. So, you know, anybody out there who's an aspiring writer, you should know that if you want money for what you do, you're going to have to make concessions and you're going to have to compromise. Right. But, uh, so, so, but creatively, who doesn't want to do their own thing and, and put their own stamp on something and be judged uh, for exactly what they wanted to do? And so that was the, you know, the huge motivating factor for me to do Foster. Uh, then thematically, I wanted to write about parenthood because uh, I have an 11 and a half year old son, and uh, you know, I want to write about things that are important to me, and and he is, and parenthood is very important to me. So, uh, I posed the question to myself, uh, you know, if I want to write about parenthood, what is it as a father that that I want to write about? And and protection to me is something that's very strong, like the need to protect your child, you know, from the evils of the world. But preparing them to get, you know, to go out in the world, like all that stuff is, is very, you know, that's what we live in. We live in fear of not being able to protect our kids. So, right, right. Uh, you know, so basically Foster, the main character, has to protect Ben, who's a six-year-old, uh, his six-year-old uh, neighbor uh, from monsters is like the worst situation that you can be in. You know, to literally have to protect the kids from monsters. Right, right. So that's kind of, that's kind of what I'm exploring uh, with, uh, with Foster. Cool. Um, so it is very much, I guess, a case of write what you know um, and drawing from that motivation and, and adding it to your writing to make it that much more sort of real. Right. I, I think it's write, write what you know, uh, plus uh, add, you know, what are the things that you love creatively? What are your influences? For me, you know, uh, movies from the late 60s uh, through the 70s are like my all-time favorite movies. Like, you know, I can, you know, you can go down the list, French Connection, Godfather, you know, right. uh, The Getaway. Like, I mean, like all these movies uh, from the era, they, they, they're they my favorites and I'm heavily influenced by them. So I said it in a world that was like that uh, because that's what I wanted to see. You know, I mean, obviously, you know, uh, everyone who, who creates an IP and has aspirations, you know, beyond, uh, you know, just the print media, uh, you know, you have to make concessions. Like, okay, let's say this is a TV show. Would they allow me to put it? In a fictional 70s world, probably not, but, you know, who cares? I'm going to write the way I want to write it, you know? Right, right. Now, we were talking, uh, we talked before about Kickstarter, and you have one going for Foster Anthology, and I know a lot of other comic pros. Uh, I've known Jimmy Palmiotti for a long time, for example, and he's got one going as well. Um, and, and it seems like a lot of comic pros are using Kickstarter sort of as, as almost even a pre-sales device. Um, to pre-sell new comics, new create-your-own uh, titles uh, on Kickstarter. Can you explain what your process and what your experience has been like with Kickstarter? Uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, I launched it less than a week ago, uh, and it's been great so far. And and it's literally what you said. You know, it was an opportunity to uh, offer it as a pre-sale to people and use that as as a selling device. Say, hey, look, I want to do uh, an anthology for San Diego. Uh, 
set in the false universe. I, I have a lot of collab uh, people I want to collaborate with, like writers and other artists. And I just want to work with them, and I think that they can bring something interesting and, and fresh to the table uh, in a world that I've already set up. So this is what I want to do. I want to do it for the fans. I want to have it out for San Diego Comic-Con, uh, but I can't afford to do it on my own. So how do I, how do I get it done? Well, you know, obviously fundraising at Kickstarter, you know, will allow me the opportunity to pay these artists a little bit of money and pay for the printing. It's like I'm not even doing it to make money for myself. Sure. I just want to to offer uh, more material uh, and expand the universe and, and, and deepen it, you know, for um, and, uh, so far in, in less than, you know, a week, I've got 70% of, uh, of my goal. Um, people have really responded to it. You know, I think, uh, when you use social media, uh, you know, when you're active in social media on Twitter and Facebook and, and you go to conventions, you meet people and, uh, you know, you can connect with them. You can connect with the fans in comics in a way you can't like, you know, you couldn't connect with Denzel Washington this way, you know, I mean, right. There's such there's such a big universe that it just doesn't make sense to do that, but like in comics where it's where it's much smaller, you can make personal connections with creators, and and if you're able to do that, then you've got fans for life. I mean, you've got people you know who will follow you on Twitter, and whenever you come out with something, they're gonna give, they're gonna support you, and they're gonna give it a shot. And and I've already seen you know like I said you know I'm pretty close to to hitting my goal uh, for Kickstarter, and it's only been a week. So, like to me, it's 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 a no-brainer, you know. You know, I know I'm going to keep up my end of the deal, and I'm going to end up giving them something that they that they will enjoy, and you know, so to have that reciprocal relationship, uh, it's pretty amazing. Right, right. Now, um, going back to sort of Foster and uh, in terms of being an independent publisher yourself, uh, what kind of advantages do you find that Kickstarter and and you know, uh, dog year entertainment have, uh, being your own sort of a publisher as opposed to going through another sort of creator owned publisher like image or dark horse or something like that. Well, I mean, uh, image is one of the few companies that we, where you're able to retain the, the, the rights and ownership right. for, for your uh, property. So, so that's the good thing about image. Uh, the other good thing is you get a, you know, a full page, uh, in previews. So I guess there was a little more awareness, but you still have to market it yourself and they take a cut. Like there's a fee that you have to pay, um, that you have to pay image. And so uh, there, the numbers that you have to hit in terms of sales is higher in mm-hmm. order for you to turn a profit or even break even because they need, you know, they have, they have to get back their printing costs. Then they take their fee. And then if there's anything left, then you get something. Well, you know, uh, Publishing it, you know, under Dog Ear, which is just my own made-up, uh, you know, publishing, you know, entity. Um, right. I, I don't, I don't have to, I don't have to hit the numbers that someone might have, you know, uh, with somebody else in order to make a profit because uh, it's all coming from me. You know, like you know, there's nobody else getting a piece of the pie. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, so that, I think that's one huge advantage. Um, but guys like Dark Horse or Vertigo, you know, obviously you're gonna you're gonna get a lot more exposure. You're gonna get more sales. You know, right. um, I'm I'm gonna be in the May previews. Uh, Foster number one will be in the May previews for July release. Uh, I have no idea what my numbers will be. No idea. It could be 500. It could be 3,000. Could be 5,000. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Guaranteed. If I went through Vertigo or Dark Horse, you know, you're probably in the five to fifteen thousand range for a number one. So you sell more. 
but what do you lose in the process? You know, you can you lose profits through, you know, on the inside or um, you lose control of your property. If you go through vertigo, they own your, they own your, uh, you know, your project. They own destiny. If they want to make a film, they want, if they want to, you know, take, it's on them, not you. So right. publishing yourself, a lot, you know, allows you the opportunity to control your own destiny. I'm writing the this the screenplay for Foster. You know? Oh, very cool. Uh, I'm I'm gonna go out with it with you know three or four issues and a finished screenplay and say this is what I want to do. Right. This right. is the vision. I think one of the problems that you have with creators going into you know into the entertainment into, into the industry uh, wanting to set up their property is that. They'll turn over their their baby, you know. Their their it's something that they created that they know better than anybody else, and they won't be allowed to write the screenplay because there's some there's some stigma that says no no you're a comic writer, you're a book writer, you you can't write a screenplay, which is right. hogwash. You know, writers can write, and all you need to know is the the rules of the genre of you know the format of the you know whatever the you know the you know, like if you learn how to write a screenplay, you can write it. You know what I mean? It, right. So to me, it's just, it's ridiculous to to have to turn over that to somebody else. Uh, and, and that's and honestly, that's a bottleneck because because you know they can love your comic book, but if they can't find an established screenwriter who has a take on your idea, then it'll never go anywhere. And how many people have you heard of that have optioned their ideas and they never get made because the studio can't find a take on it? Which is odd to me because if you if you look at the property, there's a reason you bought it, isn't that? Right, and then there's a, an established fan base. I mean, there's something there, obviously, to attract you to it. And yet, all it takes is one uh, writer to step in who is not the creator, is not attached to the material in the same way, who doesn't have the same sort of take on it that made it what it was. And you know the whole right. thing becomes a wash sometimes. Right, and I mean, you know, and of course, there's, there's still the, the the whole thing that you know, look, uh, film and television are big business, and mm-hmm. there's a lot of money that's spent, and so they have a tendency to play it safe. That's mm-hmm. why a lot of movie, movies are not good, is because they take a good idea and then they're afraid it will fail. Right. And nobody wants to lose lose their job, and so they start changing it to make it more you know accessible. And you know, sadly, a lot of times it it ends up losing sight of what it was and what made it interesting and cool to begin with. Yeah. Plus, I mean, I think that also um, with credit, WGA credit, uh, screen credit only being given if you rewrite more than 51%, I believe, something like that. Uh, There's a lot of rewriting that's going on that's not necessary, but people want screen credit because it increases their, uh, you know, pay rate and, uh, you know, all these different things. Um, Right. So it becomes this whole, you know, kettle where you throw in a bunch of ingredients and you hope what you come what comes out is actually good absolutely absolutely so yeah i mean so so for me you know it's about creative control you know right right at the end of the day um now uh, talking about since we're moving towards that uh the areas of film and television i know that uh there was this little independent film in 1997 um called the firing squad directed by uh tim story uh he of the fantastic four uh, series of films, um, and one of the stars, actually, and co-writer of that movie was one Mr. Brian Bucciolato. Uh, <laughs> how did that come about, and uh, your relationship with Tim Story, who I've know, I know you've known for a long time, and that kind of thing, how, how did that come about? 
Um, well, basically, in the mid '90s, uh, you know, I grew up in New York. I moved out here uh, to LA. Uh, I live in uh, Los Angeles, and uh, I've been here since '94. And I got, you know, the notion in the mid '90s, hey, I'm going to try acting. So uh, I did that, and uh, for a brief period of time, I would go out on these auditions and. You know, because of my shaved head, it was 99% of the time for gangbanger roles, uh, mm-hmm. which ultimately is unfulfilling because I don't <laughs> want to play any gangbangers. Right. Um, but uh, one thing, one, I mean, the biggest thing in my life is that uh, that uh, it allowed me to meet Tim Story. Uh, Tim was uh, fresh out of USC. He had made a an independent film called One of Us Tripped, and he wanted to make uh, this other uh, film that he thought he had financing for. So he put an ad in the backstage, uh, I responded to it. He brought me in for an audition. And even though I didn't fit any of the roles uh, for that movie, well, that movie ended up not happening. And uh, he wa- he still wanted to do a movie. So he contacted me and he's like, look, I have this idea for a movie. I want you to be in it. And we just started talking about it. And before you know it, I, I was helping him write it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that turned out to be the fine squad. And that's what basically launched his career. Uh, so I knew him before Fantastic Four, before Barbershop, and before, like right now, he's got the number one film in America, uh, Think Like a Man. Right, so, right. Um, that, that's how I met him, and uh, I've worked with him over the years. Uh, in any, you know, in any capacity that he's been able to include me, he has. I've ghostwritten uh, on films uh, of his that have seen the screen. I've uh, I've written, you know, four or five screenplays uh, for him that are in development, and and one of them actually may. Uh, come to uh, uh, come to be this year. Uh, it looks like we're going to go into production on one of them. Cool. Um, now, uh, I wanted to ask Tim Story, being uh, the director of the Fantastic Four films, uh, and you paying homage to your former career as uh, an actor, uh, if you could be any Fantastic Four villain in the next Fantastic Four movie, uh, who would you be? Well, I mean, I feel like I would have to be uh, Terax mm-hmm. because he's bald right. and uh, he has a huge axe. Sure, which is um, always cool. Yeah, and uh, I always thought he was a badass, to be honest with you. Um, right. But, you know, I mean, I guess maybe I'm selling myself short. Maybe I should be Galactus because, you know, you can't get any bigger than that, right? No, I mean, he eats planets. I mean, <laughs> how awesome, you know, how awesome would that be? And you know what? If you can pull off that headdress, then you are the baddest man ever. <laughs> okay, if it wasn't if it wasn't you playing Galactus, who should play Galactus? Um, it'd probably have to be Anthony Hopkins. He would be pretty darn cool. You gotta admit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He could probably play anything at that point. Uh, right. Now with Tim's story, working with Tim, um, obviously you both kind of got started, you know, at a similar time. Um, but seeing as how you've sort of uh, taken off in sort of the comic book industry and he's taken off in the entertainment industry and you've kind of run parallel sort of careers, uh, how does that sort of help you in your uh, writing career, working with Tim, having, you know, worked with him on different things, you know, ghostwritten, co-written uh, and stuff like that. How does that help you in your writing uh well, I think that still remains to be seen, to be honest with you. Uh, I, mean, I, I think, you know, uh, I've gotten a lot of experience and a lot of exposure to things in the industry. Um, I have been Tim's assistant uh, on and off uh, over the course of the last four years. I actually uh, was his assistant on his last film, Think Like a Man. Because um, you never have anything else going on, I'm sure. Sitting around. No, yeah, you know, <laughs> I, I didn't have like four books to color and co-writing Flash, uh, 
you know, I, I was it was very easy to mix that in with the twelve hour um shoot days. Sure, sure. Simple. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't sleep a lot last summer. <laughs> um but uh but you know, I think cre- creatively it helped me because I was I've been exposed to a lot uh on, on the entertainment side, which, you know, and he's he's given me a lot of you know, he's told tell told me a lot. He he lets me he I'm in his inner circle, so I know what happens. You know what I mean? Like things that obviously I can't talk about, but there's there's things you know in, in the way the entertainment business works and and how decisions are made and and you know like you know who's who and what's what like things that I'm not not that I'm like this incredible insider, but I have insight that I didn't have before that I can sure. I can help and it helps me helps inform me on how to approach what I want to do. Right. Um. You know. Yeah, so I, I think that that's kind of where it where where the the two merge. Yeah, because there's definitely things that you can only learn by seeing and doing, as opposed to you know reading or going to school or things like that. Um, right, and and I and I hope that as my my comic book writing career increases, I can leverage that on the entertainment side, which and then of course you can leverage back to comics. You know what I mean? It's sort of like you you. you volley back and forth and hopefully you know you can raise your stature in both arenas right and talking about writers who do multiple uh formats so to speak it does seem that a lot of writers do different things meaning when we add a writer to the scriptsandscribes.com website oftentimes a lot of writers go in multiple categories screenwriter slash comic book writer, comic book writer slash novelist. And, and they're on multiple lists because uh, we separate them by um, category, mm-hmm. so to speak. Um, and so it, it is one of those things where so many different writers write so many different things. They're just, they're not a comic book writer per se, or a novelist author per se, or a screenwriter per se. They're a writer. Uh, and I think that's... Yeah, I, mean, I, I, I have really strong feelings about that. I, I totally agree. I, I think it's absolute bullshit that, you know, you're a comic writer, you're a book writer, you're a screenwriter. Writers write. You just learn the rules of what you're trying to write, and then you can do it. I mean, like, I also don't believe that if you write a good comedy that you're only a comedy writer. You yeah. know, uh, uh, one of the scripts that I wrote for Tim is a is an urban buddy comedy. Okay. And, and it looks like that one's going to get made. Now, if it does, yeah, obviously I'd be very happy, but that doesn't make me just a comedy writer. Well, I think I, mean, well, I, I think it does. I think Foster has gone taken a wrong tour, and I think you need to turn it turn it into a buddy comedy. I think. Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I mean, like, if you look if you look at Foster, you look at Flash, sure, you look absolutely. at the screen, screenplay, they're completely different. You know uh, what I mean? Like, yeah. I just I just don't I don't believe it. I don't buy it. I don't you know. I I know like we live in a society where you need to categorize things and you have to quantify and classify. And, and it's like how we relate to society and the world. It makes it know? simple and uh, easy. Right. And, but it also, it cheats people of opportunity, you know, because, you know, you know, like I hear over and over again, like you have to be careful about what is the first thing that you break out. You know, if you break out as doing a horror thing, then you're even known as the horror guy. Right. Right. Yeah. You know? And it takes a so, long time to break away from that. Right, and I, I think the answer is to control your own stuff, and and you know maybe you have to start smaller, and and you know not you know aim for the fences with like a huge blockbuster or like you know a comic book that sells a hundred thousand and you know whatever you know I think you have to start smaller, but if you can move the pieces forward and control your own destiny, I think you can set it up so that you know no matter what you do, 
you're accepted because there, there's directors out there who, you know, Scorsese or, you know, whatever, maybe they have, they have, uh, you know, a, a wheelhouse, but, but, you know, they, you know, he's done comedy. He's done like, you know, more horrifying thrillers, you know, uh, you know, I, it's just, if you're a creative person, you can, you can do what you set your mind to. And, right. you know, you just have to break through the, 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 the stupid conventions that say, you know, you're this, you're that. Right, right. No, and I think that's that's great advice, and uh, it's it's unfortunate that we have to box people into things, and just for simplification's sake, because it's easier instead of taking the time to really sort of evaluate on our own what you know, even an individual project is. It's oh, that's that's a, a drama, that's a comedy, and, and things can be multiple you know variations of different things based on the complexity of them. Right. I mean, if, if, if even on a small scale, right? I look at like sometimes I look at reviews online of of Flash, sure. And very early and very early on, I don't get this as as much, but very early on, people would say like these broad sweeping statements, like that's what you get when you have a colorist write or when right. artists try to write, you know, like they say things like that, but then they don't explain what they mean. Like they don't explain, you know, oh that's that seemed like a really scattered, scatterbrained issue. Well, what does that mean? Right. You know, it's like I think people want to, you know, like, you know, like somehow you have something extra to prove because I knew you as a colorist. Therefore, you know, either either you think that I didn't deserve a shot as a writer and I only got it because I was a colorist, which let me tell you, that is not the case. Colorists get no extra, uh, you know, uh, consideration when it comes to things like that. Right. Uh, you know, or, or you're just lazy and you just want, you know, oh, you're this and that's it, you know. Well, I think some of it could also be, uh, as as far as reviewers, uh, so many people want to write comics. And so when you see somebody who is not a writer, because obviously you're a colorist, and that's all you are for the rest of your life, um, getting an opportunity to do something that they would like to do, uh, there's probably that resentment there. I mean, it's just a guess. I have no idea who this reviewer was. Yeah. Well, no, I mean, I, I see it across the board. I mean, you know, I mean, you don't see it as much, but but... Sure. It's in multiple reviews, you know, and I think I'm going to write a, a comic called Sour Grapes, and that'll be my next uh, big creator <laughs> owned. Now, have, I mean, just randomly, uh, just a random question. I don't know of any other colorists. Not that you are Brian Booch, you know, colorist. You know, Brian Booch, a lot of obviously, you know, an individual person who's obviously a writer, right. fil- independent filmmaker. I know you've done short films. You did a short film and stuff right. like that. Um, but. Uh, have there any? Have they been any other colorists slash writers in the business that you know of? I don't. I don't recall. Yeah, I don't, I don't think so. Yeah, I, I mean, know. I know. I know letterers have done it. I mean, obviously sure. Richard Starkin, a former letterer. Uh, there was a guy named Bill O'Neill uh, who was a letterer and, and did some writing for a while. I don't recall any colorists uh, that have done. But what's interesting to me about about being a colorist is that I have artistic abilities, and mm-hmm. my bro- my brother taught me how to color. Right. And it's basically a skill that I've been able to use to support myself. Sure. You know, I mean, I, not to, not to, I'm not trying to be a little colorist, but my dream has always been to be a writer. You know, I've always right. seen myself as a, as a writer who can color. You know, I'm not the colorist who can write. Gotcha. Gotcha. So, you know, I, I know that I'm a better writer than I am colorist. Right. Right. Which is, which is great. Um, very cool. So we're nearing uh, the end of our, our session here. I wish we could keep going. Um, we, we have a little section we like to call rapid fire, and it's just an either-or uh, question, and it's about a half a dozen of them. Um, 
So, uh, being a native New Yorker, uh, Yankees or Mets? Yankees. Uh, who's faster, Flash or Superman? Flash. Okay, flash back or flash forward? Flash back. Okay. Grandmaster Flash or Dwayne Wade, who obviously his nickname is Flash? Uh, I hate Miami, so I'll let you answer that one. <laughs> we'll go with Grandmaster <laughs> Flash then. Yes. Um, okay, in a potato sack race, who do you got? Usain Bolt or Michael Phelps? Oh, I got to go with Bolt. Okay. He's, he's, just, he's used to being on land. Right. Fair enough. Fair enough. I, I was thinking, I threw in Michael Phelps because I thought, you know, he had those long legs. I thought maybe he could get a big stride going there. I don't know. It was either it was either him or uh, uh, Lance Armstrong, I thought, you know, the three kind of fastest guys. I don't know. Um, I guess it depends how long, how long the race is for Lance. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Um, and, and lastly, Bananas Foster or Foster's Lager? That should be fairly easy. Oh, Bananas Foster. I have a sweet tooth. Uh, I'd much rather have dessert than beer. Excellent. I totally thought it would go the other way, but that's awesome. Cool. Um, well, that's all the time we have for now. I appreciate uh, you taking the time, Brian. Um, and it's all Booch all the time at brianbooch.com. And you can also read his super professional blog at brianbooch.blogspot.com, uh, which probably has the greatest tagline ever, which uh, reads, if anyone's not been there yet, a writer writing about writing things for the love of writing and any monies associated with said writings. I mean, uh, what could a writer need more than that? I mean, that's, that, that sums it all up in one sentence. Thanks. Um, and also check out his Kickstarter campaign at Foster Anthology at kickstarter.com. And uh, we can also be found at scriptsandscribes.com. So please check out our website for more information. Send us a question, ask at scriptsandscribes.com. Send us a tweet, at scriptsandscribes, yada, yada, yada. Thanks for listening.